Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Visit the Vendor Process Training Center to enroll in your choice of 55 plus training sessions that will help you and your team avoid fraud, compliance fines, and bad vendor data. Or just sign up to get access to Vendor Process FAQs and to attend weekly drop-in live Q&A sessions. Visit training.deborahrrichardson.com today. The link will be in the show notes. So this is another podcast episode answering a frequently asked question. This episode, I will talk about best practices for entering in the vendor information from the IRS Form W-9. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 257, FAQ, where do I enter the data on the IRS Form W-9 in my accounting system? A quick reminder that the IRS has released a draft version of the Form W-9, and it has a revision date of October 2023. Now, the draft version they released was dated uh, July 26, 2023, or rather that was day, uh, the release date of the draft version. I just checked as of the recording of this podcast, and they do not have a later release date of an updated draft version. So I am going to refer you to podcast episode 252, which was, I think, the end of August. In any event, I compared the current version of the IRS Form W-9 to the draft uh, version of uh, the IRS Form W-9 to identify uh, the changes. And there were really only two changes. So if you want to know what those are, go ahead and listen to that uh, podcast episode. But today we are going to talk about a frequently asked question. And last on last week's episode, I did the same thing. I talked about when a vendor has a new tax ID Uh, Do I have to create a new vendor record? So I get that question all the time. And so what I wanted to do for a few podcast episodes is just answer uh, some frequently asked questions in case, you know, you guys have the same questions. Uh, And so the second one is, where do I enter the data on the IRS Form W-9 in my accounting system? And let's go ahead and get started with that. I do have some caveats, though, because everyone's accounting system is different. And 
as a practitioner, which if you've listened to my podcast for uh, some time now, everyone knows, right, that I used to work for a big company, Verizon. And so we had seven different accounting system ERPs. Of course, we had the big ones. Um, There was SAP, two versions of it. There was PeopleSoft, two versions of that. And then we had some lift and shift uh, accounting systems that we kind of inherited from acquisitions. But I will tell you, since I've been a consultant, um, trainer, speaker out here for the last five years uh, this September, there are lots more accounting systems and ERPs out there. And so you may have to adjust what I say, and I may even adjust what I say based on the different accounting systems that I have had access to or know of. But even with that, you may have to adjust yours even more based on how or what your configuration is. So what I'm basically saying is that I do not pretend to know all accounting systems, but I can give you the gist of what needs to go where and why so that you can take that information and convert it into the correct fields in your accounting system or ERP. All right, so let's start with line one, which is your vendor's legal name. This is the name that the vendor is registered with with the IRS. It is also the name that if the vendor is reportable, that you need to report on the 1099 and also uh, uh, with the IRS in combination with their tax ID. Now, in most systems, this is what would be entered into the vendor name field. Now, I do have a couple of caveats, but I want to talk about line two next. And line two is the business name slash disregarded entity name if it is different from the vendor's legal name in line one. And so this is the name to you and me in, right, layman's terms, this is the vendor's DBA. So if the vendor has a legal name, but for example, their invoices will come in a different name, that different name is the name that will be on line two. Now, if you have a DBA field in your system, this is where this uh, name will go. And the purpose of adding the DBA name to your system in the first place is to allow for your uh, invoices or the invoices from the vendor as they come in in this different name. It allows that that name to be found and those invoices to be posted to that vendor record. And now for some caveats, and I've actually seen quite a few of these. First off, let me just say, though, that more than often I've seen where the system does have a vendor legal name field. It also has a DBA name field and the uh, team will still enter in the vendor's um DBA name, right? The the name that the invoices are coming in, in the vendor legal name, because they think that's what needs to be done. Um, If your system can't accommodate it, uh, you should not do that. You should put the vendor legal name in the correct field and the DBA name in the correct field. There are, however, some systems that are slightly different. 
So one caveat is there are systems that do not have a separate DBA field. And in that case, uh, I've had that issue before. And the way we resolved it is we would add the vendor's legal name in the legal name field or the vendor name field. And then we would put DBA and then we would put the name of the uh, DBA, right, that the invoices are going to come in. So that's one caveat. The second one is some uh, companies don't do it that way if they do not have a DBA field. They will actually put the DBA name as the first line of the address. And as many systems, right, can have multiple addresses, some of them may even have multiple DBAs. And so you'll see that the first line of the address is the DBA. Now, I'm not quite a fan of this. I have done this before because I've inherited vendor master files where the vendor records were this way. The issue is that um, not all of your vendors are going to have line one of their address as the DBA. And so if you ever, and you may have encountered this, right, if you have an AP automation project, now some of your vendors, when you export their data, some of them have line one as their actual address, uh, street address, and other has uh, have line one as the DBA. Um, and it may be even messed up a little further because some of them may even have line one as the attention to or something. So um, may have some cleanup there if you do it that way, but I have seen that done as well. And then the last caveat or I guess different option um, that I've seen in accounting systems and ERPs is that uh, they do use the DBA as the vendor name uh, on the vendor record. However, they have a separate uh, field that's called 1099 name. And this is where you would record the vendor's legal name on line one, because that's the name that's going to be pulled on the 1099 for the vendor. And also uh, in the 1099 reporting uh, to the IRS for those reportable vendors. Uh, so if that's the way that your system works, then uh, again, adjust accordingly. But in general, the line one name goes on the vendor's name in your accounting system or ERP and line two, the DBA goes in the DBA name. Okay, so hopefully that wasn't as confusing as I'm remembering it being as I just said it. Uh, but let's go now to uh, line three. And line three is the line where there are checkboxes for the applicable tax classification that the vendor needs to uh, select. And so uh, the tax classifications that they select, uh, as you know, uh, can determine whether or not that vendor is reportable or not. And so the tax classifications of, you know, individual sole proprietor or single member LLC, uh, C corporation, S corporation, partnership, trust estate, and then there's one for LLC. And then there's a further designation for that LLC 
uh, to identify how the vendor is going to be taxed, either uh, a C for a C corporation, an S for S corporation, a P for a partnership. And then last, there is an other uh, checkbox where they can actually enter in um, what they are. Mostly, uh, this is used for nonprofits to indicate they're like a 501c3. It can also be for government. Um, sometimes you get a bunch of uh <laughs> Uh, miscellaneous information in there because the vendors really don't know um, what to put in that field or even if they should put anything at all. But uh, the tax classification, there should be a field uh, in your accounting system or ERP where you can identify what tax class they are. And again, uh, the tax class can depend or can drive whether or not the vendor is reportable. So some systems will have um, separate fields, one to identify which tax class they selected, and you should um, uh, uh, fill that out based on whichever one they did select. And then they also have a separate field for um, uh, the LLC, Limited Liability Company, if they selected that. So you can enter in C, S, or P uh, to determine, uh, to identify how they are being taxed because that can drive reportability as well. And then uh, once you get done with that field, then there's a separate field to identify whether or not the vendor is reportable. Now, I have also seen accounting systems or ERPs that will even identify or let you identify for vendors that are reportable, which form they're reportable on, like the 1099 MISC or the 1099 NEC, and then also which box on that form. Now, I will say since the 1099 NEC is relatively uh, new again, because it was a former form, but I'd still see in a lot of uh, uh, county systems or ERPs of my clients that uh, still have old information. Like they still have, they don't have the 1099 NEC listed. Uh, they still have like box seven um, on the 1099 MISC. Like that information has not been updated. However, on the back end, they uh, will drive everything to the correct box, right? And so maybe your system is like that as well. Um, and I'm just saying that to make sure that if you need to, you know, do some research on your system, um, please do. Or if you already know uh, that your system is not updated, don't feel bad because there are lots of uh, systems that have not been updated yet. Um, at least on the user interface for that 1099 NEC change. All right, so that is the uh, tax classification. Now, the next one, which is box four, line four, um, these are really the exemption codes um, to apply to show whether or not someone is exempt from withholding, also exemption from uh, FATCA, the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act um, uh, code to enter that in to see if, uh, to identify that they are exempt from that type of reporting. Now, typically those fields, we don't, we don't usually touch those because those don't really apply to the types of payments that we pay in accounts payable. So your system may have fields where you can input this information. 
Um, but I will tell you in my experience, yours may be different. I haven't had a lot of vendors that will actually fill that out, uh, fill those uh, two fields out. So there was nothing for us to input. I will say, though, that for um, the exemption code, um, a great example is a corporation can put in exempt payee code five to note that they are right um, exempt from reporting. So if that's the case, and maybe you even require that, it's not required, but um, if they do fill it out, uh, identify if there is a field in your accounting system or ERP to input it. But I'll tell you from you know my practitioner experience, we never did anything with, uh, with box four. All right, so now let's go to uh, boxes five and six. And this is really the address. Uh, so box five is the address, which is the street and the number. And then uh, box six is the city, state and zip code. Now you might think this is a no brainer, but I will tell you that if you have an, uh, where vendors are submitting the W-9 and then maybe they also have a remit address and then maybe they also have an ordering address and they've got multiple addresses. We always try to put uh, this address from the W-9 as the tax address or the mailing address in our accounting system or ERP because some of them did allow us to Uh, identify what type of address it was, mailing address, tax address. And we did that because just in case the vendor was reportable, that is the address that we wanted the 1099 to go to. And so since we didn't want to have different rules for different types of vendors, reportable vendors and not, not reportable vendors, we had as a process to use the W-9 address as the mailing address or the tax address. And it would really depend on the system um, because some of the systems would label it differently. And so that's the big caveat, I think, with the address is that if you have a vendor that has multiple addresses, so maybe they have a W-9 address, maybe they have a different address on their uh, invoices, maybe they are a purchase order vendor, and so maybe they have ordering addresses, uh, you do want to make sure that you know which address comes from the W-9, because that is more than likely the address where the 1099 will be sent. Now I'm going to skip to the tax IDs uh, and then I'll go back to uh, line number seven and then also the box for the requester's name and address. Now skipping to the tax ID, so there is a uh, separate tax ID field for the social security number uh, and then a separate one for the employer identification number. And they do this because the format Uh, is separate. And then it also allows you to know whether or not they're giving you an EIN or social security number because the response codes from the IRS, uh, or when you do the 10 match, you have to identify it. And then the response codes depends on, can depend on which one you entered in. And so in your accounting system or ERP, many of the of those systems will only have one field to put 
uh, either tax ID, social, uh, social security number, or employer identification number. And for that matter, um, maybe any tax ID or, or vendor registration number in other countries, right? They Some of them have their own uh, registration numbers that are separate from uh, the IRS tax ID, and maybe they don't even have an IRS tax ID. So um, many systems only have the one field, and that is where it will go. There are some systems, though, like SAP and uh, maybe even your system that does separate different types of tax IDs or vendor registration numbers. So you may have a separate one for the employer identification number or EIN. Uh, a separate field for the social security number, SSN, maybe a separate field for uh, value-added tax or VAT, right, which is uh, a tax that is added on invoices um, in uh, in the uh, EU or VAT countries, I guess is a better way to say it. Um, also GST, right, goods and services tax. Um, if you deal with non-U.S. vendors in India, maybe even Canada, you may come across that. So so uh, understand your system and where your tax IDs uh, need to go. Just know that we're talking about the W-9. And so wherever you put those uh, tax IDs, that's what's going to pull um, onto the 1099 along with the vendor legal name. And uh, that's what's going to um, uh, be uh printed on the 1099 when you send it to the vendor. So it needs to be right. That's what's going to be filed with the IRS when you do your uh, related 1099 filing. So it needs to be uh, correct. And I say it that way because there are some systems that don't necessarily um, organize their vendor tax registration numbers or any kind of registration numbers uh, in a great way so that you're uniform across all vendor records. Um, SAP was like this too, right? So SAP, uh, depending on your configuration, you may see it now where it has multiple tax ID number fields. So you just need to make sure that what needs to go into those fields have been documented so everyone is entering that data correctly. So the two that I skipped, one is line seven, which is list account numbers here. Uh, it's optional. And I got to tell you, I've never used this field and I can't find where the IRS uh, even includes it in their instructions to the vendor to tell them what to put in that field. And there are actually, you probably already know this, instructions uh, or instructions for the requester of form W-9, and it doesn't even give us instruction on what we can put in there. Um, so I would love to hear from any of you if you uh, require your vendors to include a number in that field and uh, what you use it for. Uh, 
All right, so that was line seven that I skipped. And the other thing that I skipped, which again, I never used, is the requester's name and address. It also is optional. But if you wanted to put your uh, company's name and address as the requester, right, of the form uh, W-9, you could do that. And maybe, I don't know, that was used when... Back in the day when these were mailed out and they needed to be mailed back and that was a way to put the address, I'm not sure. Even, and I was back in the day, right? I do remember back when snail mail was the thing uh, and we never even did it then. So um, I would love to hear if you use or enter in your requester's name and address. And then also, again, if you use line seven for anything that uh, you want to capture or something that you might want to capture from the vendor. All right. So I hope that was helpful. There again are a lot of caveats with where you put the uh, data in from the uh, W-9 onto the vendor's record. But for those of you that have a fairly straightforward accounting system or ERP, it shouldn't be too hard to identify where things need to go. Now, I forgot to mention that with the update of the form W-9 um, from the IRS, right, um, the draft version for a revision dated October 2023 came out July 26. Uh, and so um, it, it is expected to be published, uh, released for use uh, in October 2023, since that's the revision date. Um, due to that, I have, I already had a training session for IRS uh, W-9 uh, examples by tax classification, right? What to look for when accepting from your vendor. Uh, And I do that training session um, on the third Wednesday of every month. I did that anyway, but in anticipation of this update for October, uh, I have changed that into a weekly training session. So I added weekly training sessions because I figured it would be a lot of folks that want to know what the... um, what the updates were and how they apply to the uh, tax classification uh, examples or examples by tax classification. Uh, And so I expanded the number of training sessions and I will put a link uh, to that training session. So if you are interested in uh, going through the updated training session to get updated uh, examples by tax classification on the new W-9 form, I will put a link in the show notes. It is a paid training session, but it is a great way to take a look at the updates and then also uh, to get some examples by tax class. And uh, they are, they used to be, the training session was an hour. I did expand it to 90 minutes. Um, so make sure if you want to take it to bring your questions, we will have time. All right. So I didn't think this one was going to end up being as long as it was, but I do thank you for staying on. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 257th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen.
stay happy.